Good morning, church. Pastor Jordan, you are on fire today. Woo! It's going to be one of those days. Amen? It is one of those days because we get to gather in the name of Jesus Christ. He is real. He is with us. He is for us. We get to open up his word, and I'm excited about that today. We're going to be talking about witnessing. It's one of my favorite subjects in the Bible, to go out past the doors of the church into the world and to speak to people about Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about. Are you ready? All right, let's do this together. While we may need to go into places others won't, to reach people others don't, because they are valuable to God and his mission. See, each of us have been called to witness for Christ, to bring Christ to the world. God has given us the Holy Spirit to propel the church forward, to testify in the glory of God and the things that he has done. But why are so many in the Canadian church paralyzed when it comes to sharing their personal experience with Christ? And why does witnessing cause the church and individuals inside the church so much anxiety? As we open our Bibles together this morning, I want to I direct our attention to maybe the greatest conversation within its pages. I believe that this exchange is a template for conversion, for revival, and for awakening. And I personally believe, and I've been praying into this, that God would begin to stir in the hearts of the listeners who are here today, those who have been called out of darkness into marvelous light, those who are a part of God's kingdom. I pray that God will begin to stir in your heart a conviction to have gospel conversations, which will in turn lead to faith being activated in, in the lives of family and friends and coworkers. We will begin to see the fruit of the gospel manifested in pockets of our community, which will lead to change in our workplace, which will lead to change in our nation. And we need God to help us. I remember Pastor Rick talking about the great, great discipleship expectations theme that God had given to him. And we took out the pews and we put in the chairs because we were believing that God was going to continue to build his church here in Oshawa. I believe that. I still believe that. I think that vision is true for Calvary, and we have a part to play in that. And we need God's help to accomplish this mission, and we need God's help right now. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would settle our hearts this morning. We just came through an awesome moment of worshiping you. God, thank you for that opportunity to come in here with freedom. God, to present our request to you, to draw close to you. And God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning. I pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts. God, that you would bring uh, the people who we are to talk to, to our minds this morning. And God, I pray that you would hold us to it. Hold, us, hold our feet to the fire as we move forward to share the goodness of what you have asked us to do. We love you so very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, to accomplish the mission this morning, we need the Bible. So let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth Gospel. We're going to be in the fourth chapter, and we're going to read 30 verses, 1 through 30. John 4, 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went once more back to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a, a small town, or he came to a town in Samaria called Sachar, 
near the plot of, of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from this journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which was about noon hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep? Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come back here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet and our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we are to worship or must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and was surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So they came out of the town and made their way towards him. This is the word of God. May he add a blessing to its reading this morning. Those who have been brought up in the church likely know the story of the woman at the well. Jesus travels to a town. He needs a drink. He meets a woman, has a conversation, and she goes and gets the town. And she goes in saying, come see the man that told me everything I have ever done. See, this is a powerful story and is much deeper than the said general synopsis. So I want to take some time this morning and just work through the passage. As preparing this message this week and sitting under my mentor, Pastor Rick, we've come up with two areas of this sermon. It's broken down in two parts. Part one is the why and part two is the how. So let us start this morning with part one, the why. Why pass through Samaria? It's a great question. If you look into the word of God, let's go back to it. Get your finger ready and go to verse four, first, chapter 4, verse 3. Verse 3, it says, He left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now verse 4 says, look at it with me. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Actually, he didn't have to go. He didn't have to go that way. Geographically, there are two ways to get from Judea to Galilee. 
See, one takes you up the Jordan River, and it's this easier path. It's, it's the path that Jews would often take. It's, it's a long path. It's soft, and it's flat. And the other one takes you through Samaria. It's a, it's a shorter distance to go to get to Galilee. You go up straight and through Samaria to Galilee, and it's very rocky. See, the Jews would take the long way around to avoid speaking and interacting with the Samaritan people. But to borrow a line from Frost, Jesus took the, the road less traveled because he was on a mission. And if you know anything about the writings of John, John wanted to make sure that the, the audience knew who Jesus was and what he came to do. So as you reflect from John 1 all the way to the end of the book, Jesus is described as the Word. Jesus is described as God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is prophet. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is, is the bridegroom. John goes on to say that Jesus is living water. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. Jesus is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, truth, and the life. And Jesus is the true vine. John wanted to make sure that we knew who Jesus was. And he wanted to, us to make sure that we knew what his mission was. And Jesus was on a mission. And something worth noting from this story is that Jesus was less about comfort and more about kingdom. Church, we live in a culture that conditions, conditions us to, to take the easy route. Skip the dishes and Netflix and the leisure, the leisure of PVRing the sports game or any of your, your shows and then skipping through the commercials. On Sunday, on Sunday after church, I, I love football. It's my favorite part of after church chill in time. I get to go home and throw the game on, but I don't do it anymore. I just record the games and at night after DC when I come home, I'll watch a two-hour game in 20 minutes. I'll just skip through because I don't have time to watch it through because there are other things to do like prepare for DC group. It's a great leisure, but some of these things are causing us to not focus on God. The young adults are famous for showing me a never-ending a never list of apps that will make our life very easy. But I think this conditioning is causing us to neglect valuable skills like learning how to cook and reading and learning to work through an issue using our minds and the talents that God has given us. See, our children are learning to defer to someone else to solve their problems, to correct an issue, or even carry a relationship. We see that marriages are struggling because of lack of communication and breakdown. We've gone for the easy route, but Jesus is not teaching us that. See, in this story, Jesus does not choose comfort when it comes to matters of mission and faith. It said that he had to go through Samaria because he knew that there was an opportunity for conversion, for revival, and for an awakening. See, Jesus models kingdom over comfort. And Jesus was setting the example for us because he knew that later on people would read this story and they would know that there was a route that the Jews would take, the long route around. And Jesus bypasses that route. And he's saying to, yeah, I know and I understand that others who are like me, the other Jews are taking the long route, but I'm not going to take that long route. Because every time we take that long route, we miss out on the opportunity to do what God has sent us to do. You see, comfort is killing the Canadian church. The Canadian church is becoming soft on the things of God because of comfort. Sometimes it's too much to come to church four times a month. Sometimes it's too much to fit that in. Sometimes it's too much to, to really go in and share the power of God with other people. 
And Jesus wants to correct that for us. We need to be corrected in that area. So the question is, what was the mandate of going to Samaria? What was so important in Samaria? Well, the word of God says in John 4, 5, that he came to a city, the city of Samaria, Samaria called Sachar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Sachar was the site of Jacob's well. This is found in Genesis 29, if you want to go back. And in the Old Testament, this is where Jacob first met Rachel. Very interesting story. And this is our first clue to what the story is about. See, the Samaritans claimed to follow the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they claimed that they followed the first five books, but they also claimed that they were children of Abraham. But these Samaritans continued as a blended religion filled with pagan and occult beliefs and practices. This is why the Jews didn't like them. It's because they wanted Jesus, they wanted God plus. They wanted to serve God. They wanted to, to say that they had the riches of God and that God was on their side, but they were dabbling in all kinds of things. And the Jews, were, they weren't going to have any of that. It's kind of like people today who say that they want God, they want to have God, they love the story of God, but they want to live any way they want. They want Jesus plus. But that's not what Jesus was doing. He was coming to correct that. He was coming to correct that lifestyle. See, Jesus came to the woman and wanted her to make her a full child of God. No religion plus, no half in, but a full child of God, adopted into the family of God with all the rights and responsibilities. Through Christ, church, we are made a part of the family of God. At salvation, God calls us into his family. He justifies us. Jesus lived a perfect life, something that we cannot do, and though we strive through rules and, and regulations, we try to live a perfect life. Jesus led lived that perfect life, and then went to the cross, and because he lived that perfect life, that was transferred into our account. We have the righteousness of Christ on our life. Christ gets our sin. It's called the great exchange. And during that time, we are justified, not considered guilty. Not only that, God gives us the Holy Spirit, which regenerates our hearts, makes us alive to God, makes us alive to God's word. And he doesn't stop there. He also brings us into the family and adopts us. We become a child of God, a son or daughter of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing truth? This is what Jesus wanted to do for this woman. And for the modern church today, Samaritans are those who are enjoying the fruits of the world. This is anyone outside of Christ. And church, please hear me on this. We are called, empowered, and sent to reach the people who God has chosen before time. We are not called to reach a certain kind of people. We are called to be a certain kind of people who reaches. See, God uses his children to reach the nations. And Jesus is the great example of this. He doesn't take the soft, flat path, and either should we. We shouldn't, church. See, the church needs to go to Samaria every day, not walk around, not overlook, especially not overlook the greatest human problem that exists today. We are sinners in need of a savior. And church, we have the truth. We have the power because we have the gospel. We may need to go into places others won't to reach people others don't because they are valuable to God and his mission. And God wants to bring all creation under the rule and reign of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, witnessing, really, we're going to talk about that again? I'm just going to check out. But please don't check out. Please just lean in a little bit because I know the pressures and the anxiety of witnessing. 
I remember as a youth pastor being in St. John, I told this story before to some of our young adults, but I was, it was, I was taking some, a group of kids uptown to King Street in St. John, New Brunswick. If you ever go to St. John, the top of, there's this big road called King Street. At the top is a park, and at the bottom is a, is a circle where Market Square is, where the cruise ships come in. On that road, King Street, and up in the park are some homeless people. This night, I took, a, I took a group of youth out one night to go and to, to give out some food, and I was, I was confronted with a man who told me that I would never know and understand what it's like to be on this side. He challenged me, he yelled at me, and he, he kind of embarrassed me in front of the youth. He told me that, you pastors and you religious people, you come out here and you do your little thing, and then you walk away. You have no idea what it's like. And I said, show me. He challenged me to come back the next week and, and to be where he was, so I did. The next Wednesday, I showed up, and he was there, and he gave me his clothes, and I put his clothes on, and I sat on the, on the, on the street, and he says, for two hours, you were to ask for money, and whatever you make this day is what you're going to take home to your family, and for two hours, I asked every single person that walked by. People tried to spit on me. I, I had people tell me that I should just grow up and get a job. I had people just just ignore me. One person threw a dime at me, so I made 10 cents. A pastor came out and prayed with me. That pastor and I became good friends. But it was one of those moments where I did get to see the other side of what they're going through. And the thing that really caught my attention was he said, the Christian church likes to come out in groups and likes to share the gospel. He said, but time after time living in a small city, I'll see that same pastor the next day and he'll step right over me and not address me. He said that he'll go out with a group of people like what you did, and then the next day walk right past me and not say a word. This is not what God wants us to do. See, Jesus not only sets the example of the why we are to witness reconciliation, but he also wants to, to show us the how and how we can over, uh, overcome fear. So the method. So Jesus not only brings the theology of, or John not only brings the theology of why we should trust in Jesus, but we should also look at Jesus as a great example of how he does witnessing. And that would lead us to part two, the how. John 4, 7 says this, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Notice a divine appointment set before the establishment of time, and Jesus simply asks a question. Will you give me a drink? Notice Jesus doesn't start with the four spiritual laws or he doesn't move to the Roman road. He doesn't question her at this moment about her lifestyle or her past. He simply begins with a question that will open up the door to regeneration. So our first witnessing tip for us as a church this morning is this. Witnessing begins with asking genuine questions that will lead to other opportunities to share the gospel. I love being out in the community, and I actually plan and look for ways where I can go into the community and meet people. And one of the greatest ways I do this is at Barber's, and you know I, I go, and because we have to pay a fee, I, I, I have to sit there. They have to sit there with me and cut my hair. So I use that 40 to 50 minute, depending on where I'm going, to talk about God. And I, I move diff to different Barber's, and I just found a new place. And it's right on Simcoe Street, right beside Dairy Queen. And there's a new guy that's there, and I went in, and I, I met him a couple weeks ago, and his name is Alan. And Alan speaks Spanish, and I know, I, I have broken Spanish, like I can understand, and he talks to his coworker in Spanish, and the last time I was there, they were talking about family and how important family was, and I could pick this up. He does speak a little bit of English, so I asked him where he was from. 
I said, Alan, where are you from? I, I heard that you were talking to your coworker about family and how important family was. He says, I'm from Cuba. I, I, I came to Miami and then I was invited to Canada and now I'm going through the process to, to become a Canadian citizen. He says, I love, I love cutting hair. I said, Alan, that's great. I said, what is, what is one of the biggest obstacles uh, of living in Canada? He said, the winter. He says, it's too cold here. He says, in Cuba, it's warm. In Miami, it's warm. But Canadians, it's freezing. He says, but I do love the snow. I said, great, Alan. So I wrote that down. I asked him, is there anything that I could pray for you? He says, well, you can pray for my citizenship as I study. That's great. So I wrote that in my little book. The next time going around, I remember coming in to get my hair cut again. I'm, I'm in my car, and I'm gripping the steering wheel, and I'm saying, Jesus, please give me an opportunity to speak to Alan today about your, about your son. God, please. I get in. He puts the cape around me. I sit down, and the first thing Alan says is, how's life at the church? Yes. Are you ready, Alan? <laughs> the application is, can you identify your Samaritan people? The Samaritan people that God has given to you is the place that, that you go to on a regular basis. We need to make a list of these places and then that you visit every week. And this place, these places can be where you buy gas or where you shop for groceries. Or it can be a place where you get your hair cut or, or where you get your car fixed. It's these places where God has strategically placed people in your path. And we go there all the time. It sounds a little creepy, but go to Walmart and go to the same person every single time and get to know who this person is. Write it down and begin to pray for her. Look for opportunities to share the gospel by asking genuine questions. This is your Samaria. Go to these places and find the people. Get to know them. Ask simple questions. Record the answers. Follow up with love and care and pray that God will give you an opportunity to witness to them. Witnessing tip number two. Be ready to share your testimony and answer any questions through the scripture, not through personal experience. Make sure to point people to Jesus. He saves, not us. As we look at our conversation, John 4, 7 through 15, we see in this next dialogue that it is the woman who addresses the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. She brings it up. See, this request from a Jewish man probably shocked the woman and Jesus doesn't, doesn't respond to the divided people comment. Rather, he points her to himself. He points this woman to God, and that's what we are, to call, we are called to do as well. He points this woman to God and illuminates a need that is lacking in her life, and that need is regeneration. See, her heart and her mind are dead to the things of God. Therefore, she wasn't able to ask God for this living water. Unlike us who are, who are saved and we have been justified and regenerated, we are able to ask God as it is recorded in James, James 1.5. If any of you are lacking wisdom, ask God. But this woman, and Jesus knew it, needed personal regeneration. She was lacking and Jesus addressed her core need, which was soul transformation. See, the woman, respond, the woman responds in the physical. She comes back to Jesus and says, sir... Can you give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here again to draw water? In other words, Jesus, what's the shortcut? Jesus, what's the shortcut? See, many people want the shortcut. For example, they will see a godly marriage in our church, and they want that for themselves. But sometimes they'll ask, how can I have what you have without the, with the least discomfort? How can I have God and live for me at the same time? And the truth is you can't. Church, we can't have it both ways. 
We need to be careful that we don't give the people we witness to steps for behavioral change, but rather address deep-rooted issues. And we as the church need to start with the soul. The soul is in deep, deep trouble. Giving people we witness to or people we talk to steps to address surface issues is like putting a Band-Aid on an open wound. It's not going to last. The living water analogy was needed because Jesus was saying, what you need, what you need, woman, is complete transformation that will last forever and ever, and that transformation is only found in me. Jesus is saying, what you need, I have. True life change is only found in Jesus. He is the one who satisfies the soul of the lost. He is the one who satisfies the soul of the believer. And making sure we point people and share and influence people to trust in Jesus because of his grace and not because of fear of eternal separation. It's very important that we, we share our testimonies and point people to Jesus, point people to the scriptures. As we move through, our witnessing tip number three comes up in the section between 16 and 25. Witnessing tip number three is don't be afraid to talk about sin. In fact, without repentance of sin, there is no salvation. But it is imperative that we provide the hope for overcoming the sin that we are talking about. A lot of us are afraid to talk about sin. I think that's where the anxiety builds up in our life. We're afraid if we begin to get into this, people will start to ask us questions and we may not know the answers. So, or if they want to talk about uh, things that are, are hard for, for the church sometimes, and the church in the past has done a, not a good job of explaining the truth, but the truth is found in the scriptures. Just lead them to the scriptures and, and you'll be okay. See, don't be afraid to talk about sin. In fact, without repentance of sin, there's no salvation. But tell them the hope to overcome that sin, which is Jesus. We see, this, we see Jesus doing this. See, Jesus responds to the woman's question by giving, her, by giving her living water, by telling her to go get her husband. And Jesus reveals her sin, but he doesn't condemn her to hell. See, he talks about the sin that's going on. He, he confronts her and he says, you, go get your husband. And then he says, you've had five husbands. And the guy that you're with right now is not your husband. But he didn't say, you're going to go to hell. He didn't say that you were forever banned from me. He was illuminating this sin and bringing it to the light so that she could know and understand where she was. I love how this actually reads. The word husband is translated Lord. It actually reads, go get your Lord. She responds with, I have no Lord. See, the people we witness to come need to come to that understanding as well. I have no Lord and I am in a mess and I can't say myself. And we see it day after day. They try and try, and they want to change the behavior, but it never works. Pascal said that each of us have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and we continue to fill it with things to satisfy us, but it never will be satisfied because we can only be satisfied in Christ, who is the living water. Go get your Lord. I have no Lord. See, the people that we witness to are broken because of endemic depravity. We are totally dead to God. It is Jesus who makes us alive. The water Jesus provides is this living water. It brings dead people to life in Christ. And church, we have living water. And we can give it to people. The woman tries to deflect the conversation into a spiritual debate on worship. 
I don't know if you've ever been in the marketplace and you've been witnessing to people, but they always have questions. They always have debatable questions. And Jesus is making sure that we know and understand that we'll get questions. And she wants to have a debate on worship. And Jesus answers her question by pointing her back to God and to truth. He doesn't try to win the argument. He brings her to the root issue that real followers will worship in spirit and in truth. John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with the spirit. And Christians who have been called out of darkness into marvelous light are given, to the, given the spirit. And the spirit helps us to understand the truth. So we worship God. We come in here this morning. We open up our mouths because of what God has done. Because of what Jesus has done. And because of what the spirit is doing in our lives. We sit here with our Bibles open and the word is being preached and it's hitting our hearts because the Spirit is testifying to it. It is helping us to, to know and to understand. We worship in spirit and truth, but the woman tries to deflect a second time by sharing her knowledge of a Savior that is coming. See, this woman knew about God for, her, for people in her family must have shared the history. They must have gone back, hey, hey we're Abraham's kids. We, we know the first five books of the Bible. A Messiah is coming, a, a one who is called the Christ, he will be coming. She tries to use that argument. She tries to share about Jacob's well, the Christ that is to come, and the rules for regarding worship. See, many of the people we talk to will have some idea of God, how the church operates, and many will have stories of hurt and pain. Be ready for this and answer all questions through the lens of the cross. Share the gospel. And if you don't know how to share the gospel, that's okay. We're going to teach you. Come to DC's tonight. It's part of our work tonight. We're going to learn how to share the gospel. Witnessing tip number four. This is my favorite. Introduce people to the living God. Introduce people to the living God. Church, we have a God who loves us, that saves us, that continues to walk with us who promises us new mercy every single day. He is living, he is true, he is active in his creation. Let's introduce people to the living God. Share the gospel. Jesus reveals to her, I am the Messiah, I am the living God. See, the background story of, this, of the woman at the well is that she, were, she arrives at noonday and the, we think that is because of her, her, her shady past. She goes at midday, and that's the hottest part of the day, to gather the water so she doesn't have to interact with people because she has, she's ashamed of her past. This in turn causes her to run but one conversation with Jesus, and Jesus brings new life. This in turn causes her to run back to the same people she is trying to avoid and bring them good news. See, verse 28 says that the woman left her water jar See, the task she came to accomplish became secondary to witnessing. This is one of these amazing things that happen when people start to get it. When people start to get that they are in need of a savior, they are, they're, they're in trouble, their soul is in trouble, and, they, and God begins to activate faith in their life. The things that they're striving for, the, the things of the world, they start to become secondary and Christ becomes first. It's amazing how our priorities will change when God brings new life. Last week, Pastor Rick preached a sermon, and new life came to this church. A young adult gave their life to Christ right here at the front because the Word of God was working, because the Holy Spirit was working, because the Holy Spirit was activating faith in the lives of people. Even this morning, your heart may be pounding as this, as, as this message is going out. It is not from me. That is from the Holy Spirit. He is speaking to you. 
It's amazing to see how priorities changed. She went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ? Notice how she said everything I did. She's running from the people, going midday to get water because she is ashamed of her past, but then she goes back to the people and she declares, this man told me everything I did. She was not trying to cover up her life. She was not trying to make excuses for things. She was not trying to justify. She went back and said, I found a man. He knows it all. It could be the Christ. Come and see. Regenerated people testify to the power of God and how grace and forgiveness helps us share our struggles, not minimize them or pretend we are something we are not. So witnessing tip number five is don't be afraid to use your own struggles as an example of God's great mercy and grace. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Here's the question, church. How powerful is your personal testimony? It's very powerful. It's very powerful. We need to be out in the marketplace talking to people and sharing what Christ has done for us and for you. If you've been a Christian for a long time, take some time and go back and remember the joy of your first love when you first came into relationship with Christ. What God did for you and how he opened up your eyes. Remember these stories. Go back to them. Keep them fresh in your mind and fresh in your heart. Ask God to give us a divine appointment so that you'll be able to share and testify to the things that God has done. God will put people in our path. But we choose to walk around. We choose to believe the lie that they will never understand. And there's, the Bible is too complicated. Jesus is the one who saves people, not us. But God wants us to go. He wants us to be in the marketplace. He wants us to be in the coffee shops. He wants us to be where we get our gas and say, hey, how's your day going today? Is there anything I can pray for you? Hey, my name is Nick. I want to meet, I want to meet you. I was at the gym the other day, and there was this older man, older gentleman. He's always around. Like every day that I'm there, he's there. He's probably 60, 65 in that area. This guy is ripped. I watch this guy a lot, not creepily. But I watch him. He's very strong. And we were working on the same exercises. We were doing the same stuff. We were both working on chest. And so we were bumping into each other as we were using the stuff. And I finally just said, hey, brother, I see you every single day. I want to know your name. And he must have been from one of the islands because he was like, brother. And he gives me this big hug. Never hug a sweaty man at the gym. <laughs> I want to be nice, but I'm also thinking this is gross. He is sweating all over me, dripping. So we're friends now. That just made us friends. But his name was Stan, and Stan and I began to talk about gym and, and about the gym and about our lifestyles and, and, and our bodies and how, how amazing our bodies have been developed. And, and God has given us a body as, as a temple, and I use that as, an, as a, a transition to talk about spiritual things. When I was leaving, Stan was leaving also, and he ran up to me and waves, and he says, Bye, Nick. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see you early so you don't sweat on me. <laughs> but it's amazing how God will give us these opportunities where we can share our testimony. See, I love that in this passage it shows that Jesus spent a few days with the people and many more believed. See, the new testimony of the town is, is no longer because of what the woman has said, 
that they believe, for they have heard for themselves and they know Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. What an amazing story this is. Jesus needed to go to Samaria, Samaria and look at the progress. Look at the progress of even titles. At the beginning of the story to the end of the story, Jesus comes on and he's a Jewish man. Then it goes to Sir Lord. Then it goes, you are a prophet. I can see that you are a prophet. I can see you are the Messiah. You are Christ. And then at the end in 442, if you read down to the bottom, the whole town says, we do know that you are the savior of the world. What a progression. Jesus goes from Jewish rabbi to savior of the world in one conversation. The one conversation brought personal new life and new purpose to this woman. That's what Jesus does. Like there are so many in our community right now, even in our families, maybe in our workplace, that don't understand that God loves them and that God is for them and that God wants to have a relationship with them. And a lot of people, even inside the church, they have this thing when they sin, they want to move away from God. And a lot of times, most people that we love who come to our church, when they get into a cycle of sin, we don't see them for a bit. Because they don't feel worthy to come to church. I'll just get my act together and I'll just get a grip on this and then I'll come back to church and worship God. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to pre present your request before God, present your confession before God, repent and get your butt to church. I'm sorry I said it like that, but I'm going to say it like that. We need to not forsake the gathering of God. We need to come in here, get filled up, get encouraged, and then go back out and look for those opportunities to witness to people. See, these people matter to God. The land was affected. They were included in the Great Commission. Reconciliation was achieved because the God-man didn't take the long way around. He met a woman full of shame. He shared the good news, and she became an influencer for Christ. Right now, there are so many of us that are an influencer for Christ. And maybe we just don't know it. Maybe we're scared to open up our mouths. Maybe there's anxiety in our heart and in our minds about witnessing and testifying to the power of God. Try it. Just try it. You won't, you won't be perfect at it. You'll make some mistakes, but you'll learn. And eventually you'll get into the cycle of looking for people, looking at your Samaritan people, and going to them and bringing them the truth. So as we end today, what's the takeaway? There's two takeaways from here. One, you are not alone. And two, we are called to go to Samaria every day. One, we are not alone in the efforts to witness. We are empowered by this Holy Spirit to testify to the glory of God. We are given authority to speak about sin and salvation that leads to transformation. See, Christians, please talk about your own living water salvation stories. Share about the beauty of grace. Share about the power of forgiveness. Share that you were forgiven and you walk forgiven. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Share with these people about the hope that is available to those you meet. Be encouraged. You can do this. When I was in Bible college, I remember my last course, I took this, this course about these four guys at a haystack. They, they got caught in a thunderstorm. They were running for cover. They get under this haystack, and the four of them are in there, and they're talking about being an influencer for Christ. And one of the guys, Samuel, says, we can do this, guys. We can reach the whole world if we will. If we actually put our hands to the plow and do it, it will be accomplished because Christ wants us to do it. And they did. We can do this, church. And two, we are called to go to Samaria every day.
Witnessing does not have to cause you anxiety. And being a witness is literally just this easy. Living for God in your community and inviting others to see how you live. The best way to witness to our community is to be, into the, be in the community and look for opportunities to ask genuine questions. Be ready to share your living water stories of regeneration, your testimony. Don't be afraid to talk about, about sin, but, but provide the hope for overcoming that sin. Introduce people to the living God. Share the gospel. Be real. Share your own life, your own struggles, and your, own vic- and your victories. Don't try to sell Jesus. And last, be faithful to witness every day and leave the results up to God. You can cast seeds. God will do the rest. When I graduated from Bible college, my wife bought me this little bag. It's like a mail carrier bag. And every day before I would go to work, I would put that bag on a hook right before I'd leave the door. And every day I would get my keys and I'd get ready for work and I'd put my tie on because back in the East Coast we wore a tie as a youth pastor to church every day, even on Tuesday. It was fun. So I put my tie on and I pick up my bag and that bag was a representation of the seeds that needed to be planted that day. There was nothing in the bag. I didn't put books in there. I didn't put my Bible in there. It was just a bag that my wife gave me as a reminder that today, Nick, as you walk out those doors, there's a bag full of seeds that you need to cast. And I would take that bag and I would wear it to work and I would wear it to different places. And it was a reminder that wherever I was going, I needed to be casting these seeds because I'm a forgetful man and I'm also selfish. I want to spend the day my own way. But this was a great reminder that we were going into the harvest field and God was going to harvest. He was going to bring people. And the laborers were few. So I would do that every day. I'm challenging you to do that too. One pastor, Allison Beggs, shares this. The grace of God does not relieve me of my responsibility to be obedient. But the grace of God makes possible my obedience. God can help us. So do not fear witnessing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It was included in Acts 1.8. And to the ends of the earth. My closing challenge is take some time this week. Get a notepad and sketch out your Samaria. Your mission field given to you in your community. Whether it be a Walmart or a Metro or an Esso or wherever you go. Begin to live the refreshed living water life in Christ. You'll see God will use you and you will have so many God stories that you'll go from fearing, witnessing to living the overflowed life that Christ has designed for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would begin to move in the hearts of your people. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bring to mind the people right now that they can see at the ESSO or at the gas station or, or at the bank These people are there every day. This is their 40-hour gig. We have access to them every day. Monday to Friday, majority of people work full-time. They're there. God, help us to to celebrate these people and help us to go to them and help us to begin to cast seeds. And I pray, God, it won't be as fast as Jesus usually does it. It may be some work, but let's put in the work and meet these people. Invite them to church. Invite them to the Christmas outreach. Invite them to a Sunday morning and say, here, please sit with us. And God, as they come through the door, I pray that you would continue to make our church a beacon. I pray that we would move aside and let people sit down and make sure that they get connected at the welcome booth, that they get connected to a pastor so that we can follow up with them. God, I pray that you would continue, continually save people from our city. I pray, God, that you would use Calvary as that beacon. God, 
I pray in 20, the remainder of 2019 and 2020 would be a great harvest year for you. That people would come out, that they would be saved, that they would be baptized, and that they would be discipled. And that you would use the leadership here in this church, every one of us. We are all called to this mission. So we're standing in faith and moving out. God, give us the power and the strength to do this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let your kingdom come, God. Well, the closing thought, church, is something that I can't shake. Pastor Rick gave us a closing address a few last month about the church being a witness into the community. Every time I go to my desk, every time I open up the Bible, I can't stop thinking about that. What if we, who know Jesus and have the power to change lives, would go in abundance to the community that we live in and share the gospel? What would happen? Well, I believe that revival and awakening would happen. I believe the Holy Spirit is prompting some of you right now to be a witness in your community. And my challenge as we go is start with your own personal mission field. Those places I shared you attend every week. Identify those people in those places. Those are your Samaritans. If we all commit to reaching our community, renewal, revival, and awakening will take place. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Church, let's do it. Your pastoral team will be down front and in the connections room to help you accomplish the word that was preached this morning. We love you. Have a blessed day. See you tonight.